0: Guys, welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, registered dietitian.
1: And I'm Sophie Bertrand, registered nutritionist, and we are the authors of the Forking Wellness book and obviously the Forking Wellness Podcast.
0: Each week we sit down and we discuss all things health and wellness from debunking diet myths to nutrition information, lifestyle factors, etc.
1: Stick with us while we try and work out what the Fork Wellness really is.
0: I don't even know what we do.
1: We are both super excited to share that we will be running giveaways on the Forking Monas page every week leading up to Christmas.
0: So head over to our page every Sunday, and each week there'll be a new giveaway. It's going to be a big bundle of amazing prizes that you can win. So in we'll, we'll spill the beans on week one. So we have a Habit Nest journal, which is actually the
1: journal that both Barry and I have been using for the past few months, an Urban Farm It Mushroom Growing Kit, which is so fun.
0: I love that. Conduit well. Wellness is giving away yoga class and Mob Kitchen is giving away a cookbook. BB Wraps
1: are giving away their Beeswax wraps, which will help your kitchen be more
0: sustainable. And then also, Bamba has kindly let us give away their coconut bowls, and you'll also get some TikTok tea.
1: So many incredible items there to enhance your
0: lifestyle, I feel. And so many nice things leading up to like the Christmas season, whether you want to start journaling in the new year or some new recipes or, you know, some yoga over Christmas, because it can be a stressful time for many.
1: Yeah, so head to the Forking Wellness Instagram page. It's super easy to enter, share with your friends. And like we said, we'll be running them once a week. So you have a pretty good chance of winning.
0: And we'll be back next week and tell you what's in that giveaway. Hi guys, welcome back to
1: today's Forking Wellness podcast episode. I, or we, are delighted to welcome Antonia, who is a registered associate nutritionist and also part of our Forking Wellness
0: team. Hi Antonia. Hi. So happy to have you on the podcast. Um, This is like Forking Wellness, Zoom, Skype really nice team meeting meeting turned podcast (laughs) yeah Uh, but we're so excited to have you on today because we are talking about endometriosis which is something that you've been diagnosed with yeah yeah and we just want to hear um I guess we'll talk a bit about it in general like as a you know disease date and then kind of like your journey and things like that
1: yeah sounds good fabulous so before we kick off with kind of getting into it questions etc do you want to just explain what it actually is yeah sure
2: so endometriosis is basically a condition where um, cells that are really similar to your uterus lining grow in other parts of the body so normally that tends to be sort of around um, your ovaries so around your reproductive organs but it can also affect your bladder it can affect your gut um, and a- it can actually spread throughout your whole body it's not so common so it normally tends to stay sort of further down there but there has been cases where it's been found in the brain where it's been found in the lungs like it can spread everywhere um there's four stages actually so um it basically depending on how much endometriosis they find they kind of put you into different categories of stages so like the stage four would be where you have like actual chocolate cysts on um your ovaries and like other parts of your body whereas maybe stage one is just having like some mild endometriosis tissue um sort of around but um yeah that's pretty much it it's not like a a a huge well it's huge and it's really impactful but it's quite what I find quite interesting about it is that it doesn't really matter how much tissue you have um and that that doesn't really mean that you're going to have worse symptoms so you can have loads of endometriosis no symptoms or you can have literally a minimal amount of the tissue in your body and have major symptoms which I think is so fascinating.
1: Mm, really interesting. And I actually read that one in ten people suffer with this condition, which
2: is quite yeah. a lot. It's one in ten in the UK, yeah. I think the stats will be a bit different depending on sort of the country um that mm. you're from. But yeah, it's it's huge. It's also one of these things that I found after I got diagnosed, I realised loads of people had it, but before yeah. that I'd never heard of it at all. So it's like one of these things that just doesn't really get spoken about that
0: much. It really yeah. doesn't. I remember, like, learning a bit about it, um, like, in uni when we were doing, like, our PCOS um, kind of thing. They, like, briefly touched upon it, Mm -hmm. um, but it's just so interesting how, I don't know, maybe it's just not really related to nutrition, and that's why we didn't spend a whole host of time on it, but I just find it really interesting that, like, it's so prevalent, yet we didn't find out a huge lot of information
2: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I I feel like um, it is quite relevant to nutrition though, because the symptoms are so similar to things that would be treated with nutrition, stuff like PCOS, stuff like IBS that people specialize in. And I wonder how many people are out there that are like on specialist diets for these things. And it turns out that actually their symptoms aren't related to that at all. So like since being diagnosed, of like so I've talked about it a little bit more on social media and I've like met some people that have given me great tips. And some of them said they were like, yeah, no, someone told me I had PCOS. So for five years I was being yeah. treated with PCOS symptoms and uh, then it turns out I had endometriosis. So then you've like changed your entire life around for something that you don't have, which I think is so crazy. For me, it was um, they kind of started giving me IBS medication because I went to my GP. They kind of looked at the symptoms. They were like, oh, we'll try this. So I did it. Didn't really work. And then I was like, okay, this isn't really helpful. So what were your initial symptoms? So I think for me, the two that were most noticeable was that I was getting quite a lot of UTIs. So I was going to the GP for those anyways, but they didn't really, like, they they were kind of just like, oh, well, you're a woman, you get a lot of UTIs. Like, that's not, you know, I mean, like, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I started getting more sort of digestive symptoms, which is kind of why they initially thought it was IBS. Um... But then with a the medication, that didn't really improve. But then I was also, I moved to London and I was in a new job. So I didn't really have the time to focus on it that much. So I didn't do anything about it for ages, actually. So I got the IBS medication last year in summer. And then until this year in summer, I didn't actually do much about it again. Because every time I got, went to the GP, they were like, oh, well, you know, maybe try eating less of this. Or like, oh, maybe try you know, you take these antibiotics for your UTI or something. And it didn't really ever get anywhere with me. Like I was like, it's always like very short term. This helped for like a week or two and then yeah. it would get worse again. And I think for me a lot of symptoms I didn't put them together. So I never thought like my UTI and any sort of problems with my digestion could be linked to each other because they're two different organs. And then I also started getting heavier periods. But again, I didn't really think that has anything to do with the other symptoms um other like weird symptoms for endometriosis are like it will hurt a lot more when you go to the toilet when you're on your period and that's again something that I was always told like oh yeah you're just in pain when you're on your period so I was like oh my period pains are getting a bit worse but I didn't really think much of that like it's just for me I've always just been told like oh that's just how life is like you're on your period you're in pain life goes on kind of thing
1: I think as women who have periods, we're just expected to tolerate so much that, like, we're not even sure what normal is anymore. Because, you know, I I might be wrong in saying this, but I don't think it's normal to have really extreme, heavy, painful periods.
0: But also, if that's the only thing you experience, it's your relative. So that, I think, is so confusing. Like, if you've always had, like, super painful like really like terrible cramps and stuff like that that's all you know then it's just labeled like cramps there's no Mm -hmm. like normal so if you've always had this then you don't actually think it's abnormal except when people are like no I've never had a cramp before and you're like what like I was just doubled over in pain (laughs) like on the floor (laughs) crying and you're like walking through life and you know to be honest I don't really get bad cramps like very very rarely do I get cramps but when I do I feel like they're debilitating Mm -hmm. But, like, it might happen, like, every, like, four periods. Like, it's very, like, irregular. But if I do get cramps, it's, like, one day where I'm, like, I literally cannot cope.
2: That was the same for me, though. Like, I think that's why I found it so difficult to piece my symptoms together. So it took, like, seeing quite a few. So I saw a GP in the UK and then actually I got diagnosed in Germany because I spent lockdown there. And Germany healthcare works a bit differently. So I already had, um, I had my GP there as well, but actually the person that diagnosed me was my gynecologist. Because in Germany, regardless of whether you have a GP, you go see your gynecologist once a year, they do your smear test, they um, check check you out. And I think in a way like that's something that I kind of miss in the UK is just having someone specialized Mm. in gynecology looking at me once a year, Being able to, because that's the first person I ever got the pill from as well. And like that, it meant that she, she literally, like the second I told her my symptoms and I had not spoken to her about it before, she was like, oh, I think this might be endometriosis. Like, get it checked out for IBS if someone else suggested that. But if that doesn't go anywhere, let's sort of look into this. And I was like, how, you know, how does she literally from a five minute conversation realize that? And other doctors that I speak to are just like, oh yeah but how bad is your pain is it happening all the time like people were also just like oh maybe you're just really anxious like maybe you're just so stressed and that's impacting it and I was like maybe like you know when people tell you things <laughs> yeah. and you're like maybe I am just like super <laughs> anxious like maybe I'm this is all just in my head and like it was just so crazy
0: and yeah, also, but I feel I- like that's mentality that like yeah. it makes you feel like, like you just said, like, is this just in my head? And it's like, no, you have real pain, you have real symptoms. And I actually think that, you know, having that specialized doctor, and I also had a gynecologist who, you know, we always went to we, the GPs and the gynecologists were very separate in America. Um, same thing as it was is in Germany. And I think that that's kind of like the big light bulb is that people are specialists for a reason. And you're not going to go see um, a cardiac, surgeon to help with your celiac disease like people specialize in certain areas because they are like top 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 you know they have the top knowledge in that area so a GP can't be a specialist in every single area so I I get like frustrated here but sometimes I do feel like there's like a gap in the system Mm -hmm. it's
2: difficult as well so when I came back so I had my surgery done in Germany and then I came back to the UK and I was like, oh, I'll go see my GP because I need to so now I'm on like a special pill, which is not one that you'd normally get prescribed. It's just like it's got specific hormones that help you sort of manage your endometriosis. And I had a six month supply from my German gynecologist, but because I now like permanently lived there and I stopped paying for healthcare in Germany after I like moved back this time. So before that, because for the last seven years I was a student Um, I was still kind of registered in Germany I could still go to the doctors there but now that I'm like out of uni in a full-time job I couldn't so I was like "Oh, I'll go to the GP and I'll just you know get it sorted and it took ages so I was like I'm running out of time a little bit so I went to go see an endometriosis specialist in London because I was like I'd rather you know pay the money for like an appointment and like make sure I'm getting the right care and first of all very expensive like if anyone listening to this like try to go to your GP first because it cost me so much money to literally just be told again that I have endometriosis and um the specialist pill that I'm on is really expensive as well if you get it through private so um definitely something where unless it's super urgent I mean I, I do recommend going to see a specialist because they are so much more knowledgeable but it's like a financial commitment unless you have private health insurance yeah um but um yeah it's just so like you have to have that specialized pill and that's the only thing that you can then take like I was chatting to him and um he was like oh well we can do a few more tests and none of them really do anything the only thing that can really determine whether you have endometriosis is the laparoscopy so where they kind of do three little insertions on your abdomen and then they go in with like a little camera they look around if there's something they will cut it out if they'll just close you up it's like as minimally invasive as possible but that's the only way like on an ultrasound you won't be able to see it yeah um on I had an MRI actually and you couldn't see it on there either and having gone through all these things um I mean at the time I was like I'd rather know and like it's for my own peace of mind but it's very lengthy expensive kind of stressful and none of those things are going to show it to you so I think Realistically, the only way is like think about are your symptoms bad enough that it warrants you having an operation to find out mm. whether this is the cause of it? And then after that, yeah, unfortunately, it's only sort of taking the pill and taking painkillers when you kind of need it.
0: Yeah, I find this, I'm really sorry that you like this is very, I feel like there's not a lot of awareness about it and going through it must have been mm. like you really have to be your own advocate and you really have to fight for yourself. And I could feel. Like um, that might have been really stressful. Um, I find it really interesting that the only way to get diagnosis is through surgery. So, I mean, I read that the average time for diagnosis for when you first have symptoms and you like go to a doctor about it is seven and a half years by the time you you actually have a diagnosis. So I feel like because it's like surgery to diagnose, doctors will recommend kind of like, oh, we'll try this first and then try that first. Mm -hmm. And that's why you get like shuffled around the system. And then all that kind of fails because you have this diagnosis. And then they're like, okay, we'll do the surgery to find out. And I feel like there must be a better way to go about that. I mean, like science isn't there yet, obviously, or else we'd have it. But that seems really, really long. Like I doubt there are other disease dates that have the same kind of lengthy diagnostic process.
2: Yeah, it's it's crazy. And I think... Um... I mean, I I think the main thing to know about it as well that I kind of thought, oh, I'd have the diagnosis and then from then on, life would get so much better and my symptoms would magically go away and like it would all be better, and it didn't. If anything, actually, I found my symptoms got slightly worse since having the laparoscopy, which is weird. Like I was talking to the specialist about this, and he was like, that shouldn't happen, which is why I then had the MRI, because he was like, maybe they missed something. So um, it's one of these things where for your own peace of mind it's then good to have it if you have severe endometriosis everywhere the laparoscopy might then help that So for example, like mine was kind of on my bowels and on my urethra. So like that kind of explained why, for example, one of the symptoms that like I found the most annoying is like I would wake up in the morning and I'd really need a wee, but like, not the like, Oh, like I should go for a wee. I was like, I would wake up. And the first thing I'd know is be like, I need to get out of bed and I need to go for a wee because it was so urgent. And I was like, this can't be normal. And again, like three doctors told me, Oh, that's just normal. You go for a wee in the morning. What are you stressing about? And I was like, no, but this is not normal. Like, I shouldn't be waking up, needing a wee, like some
0: eighty-year-old. Yeah. i was about to say the weirdest thing i probably ever said on the <laughs> podcast. But you ever get that feeling, like when you're experiencing someone, you're like, "No, you don't get it." Like, I wish you could feel this right now to understand what I'm saying. Like, if only that existed. Like, I wonder how like people would take our symptoms more seriously. Like, if I ever had bad you could, period like, step cramps, your
1: body into someone else.
0: Yeah, if I ever had bad query cramps, and. I'm just like to mark like I wish you could feel what I'm feeling right now like I just wish because like I don't think that people understand and I know that sounds really weird it's really difficult
1: to empathize when you haven't experienced
0: yeah I just like had this like weird vision of like imagine going to the doctor and being like this is what I felt and then the doctor like (laughs) amazing.
2: that that would be so good because normally what they do is they ask you like oh how's your pain on a like yeah, uh, range 10. from one to ten and it's like honestly I don't even know this was but like that's so crazy,
1: difficult like, like some people have such a higher pain threshold than others and some people have experienced more painful experiences that shouldn't take away from how severe your situation is in that moment no exactly
2: I also I think I have a vivid minute em- Imagination where I'm always like, now nah, there must be more painful things out there. Like, this was really painful. But yeah. then it might have been a 10 in someone else's book. You know what I mean? Like, so if I'm saying five, they're like,
1: oh, clearly she's fine. But I'm pretty sure, happening... like, people who have given birth as well, like, that's their pain <laughs> threshold. So if you ask them, they're probably like a four or a five. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, and that's the thing. It's so
2: difficult. It's so individualized. That's why I always kind of hate those questions. Cause I'm like, this is not going to tell you anything unless I'm telling you I'm like winded. Although I, I was on the NHS website earlier actually, and they were going through like what different pain means. So to them, severe pain, for example, means like you can't get out of bed. You can't go to the toilet. You can't move. That's how much pain you're in. And then everything else is like, medium pain and then there's mild pain which is like you know you can go about your day but you feel pain and then I don't know it was quite interesting because I was like oh that actually might help a little bit if someone asked me if it was se- severe pain I know that unless I was like lying in bed
1: probably yeah that's a good point I remember yeah. I was really ill in New York once and luckily we had health um like travel insurance and I went to see a doctor and you're like going to laugh. It was literally just a cold, but it was the most pain my throat has ever been in. Like my throat felt like it was on backwards. And the doctor and I was like crying. And the doctor was like, how much pain? on like one to 10. I was like 10. <laughs> she was like, OK, I don't think she believed me.
0: <laughs> but it's literally all but just so relative. Exactly.
1: Like just an example of how different it could be for everyone. Um, But yeah, so what are some of the treatments for? I mean, you mentioned you were on some sort of pill that, kind of was hormonal what are I mean what is that pill for firstly and what are some other treatments that are available so the specific one that I'm on is
2: called Clara so it literally it's just I think it like it's just like a specialist pill that um has a specific amount of dienogest and um I don't know what the other active compound is, but it's like a a mixture of two specific hormones and in a specific doses. And that's what you kind of need to manage endometriosis, which is not a pill that you'd normally get through your GP. So you have to go. So I, I, for example, called up the um, sexual health clinic because I already knew exactly what pill I needed. And they were like, Oh, we can't give that out through sexual health clinic because it's not like it's a specialist kind of pill yeah. I think they use it actually for acne as well which is another thing that I found so fascinating about pills is that like there's one that has like a specific thing that's like for so many different things yeah um, but yeah so that's the main way in terms of managing it and I'm actually taking it back to back so there's uh, normally two pills in that cycle that wouldn't have any hormones in it I don't take those. I take it back-to-back hormones to try and stop my periods, um, which hasn't worked so far, by the way. Very annoying, because that means that I'm still sort of in pain. I mean, they're checked, and I don't think the endometriosis has necessarily come back, but it could. Um, but in theory, the, like, the only way to kind of stop it is to stop you having periods, to stop the tissue from building up so that right. it can't, can't come back again.
0: So in theory, like if you were to have periods and, you know, the tissue would come and then it would kind of disperse, like you said, because it's kind of like your, your uterus or your womb actually just like kind of building up in different pockets. Um, So then would people or people, the doctors presumably go in and kind of like um, remove those cysts? Is that kind of like an ongoing treatment that you have to get forever? sort of so in
2: that a lot of people that have endometriosis will have multiple surgeries so because I'm really early on I've only had one and I personally hope I won't have to necessarily have another one because I I didn't have that much endometriosis tissue that I actually think I would benefit that much from it but some people that have the like really deep ingrown endometriosis that might be the only way to sometimes get rid of it again um I mean, with the pill as well, like, my periods haven't stopped yet. Hopefully they will do, though, within the next sort of six months. Like, it sometimes takes a bit of time to balance itself out. And I wasn't actually on the pill for the last three years because I just don't actually like hormones that much. That was just, like, a personal, like, I just didn't feel like it was benefiting my mental health at all. So I stopped. And then now I'm taking it again, which is sucks because depression is actually one of the side effects of sort of endometriosis. And for me, the pill isn't making that any better but Mm -hmm. there's not there's not a lot of other options you have apart from just taking painkillers to be honest like that's when i asked my um specialist he was just uh well realistically if you're in pain take some paracetamol and i was like "Hmm, it's literally my least favorite thing to do when i'm in Mm -hmm. pain because i'd rather be managing it in like a more preventative way um but yeah so surgery the pill or paracetamol is the only three sort of treatments
1: so the pill that you're on is it some is it a form of contraceptive pill? Yeah. Or is it, oh, it is. Okay.
2: So it's still a contraceptive pill. It just has a specific mixture of hormones that kind of it targets endometriosis.
1: Okay. So if you were to ever stop taking that pill, what I mean, it just comes back and you have to manage it in a different way, or. Yeah, I mean, I asked
2: my specialist and he just said, like, if I don't want to take a pill, then I'm just going to have to manage the symptoms. Like, they, then the endometriosis can come back. It's also, but it's not like a science. It's not like a, oh, if I stop now, in a year's time, I'm going to have loads of endometriosis. It's like, they don't know where it comes from, which I think makes it really difficult to kind of figure out. So, for example, no one in my family has endometriosis. So, it's not like a, not something I that I got from someone. ask you that. Yeah so it's it they don't really know they have a few sort of theories but none of them are really backed and none of them are like definite in everyone so I think that side makes it really difficult really but to come back to Sophie's point like if I stopped taking it then if the pain got really bad again I just end up having to have another operation Um, and that would be the sort of treatment side of it. Yeah.
1: So if you don't mind me asking as well, how might it affect people who, let's say, want to try for a baby?
2: Yeah, so it can. It doesn't have to, but it can um, affect it. Normally, what they say is that um, if you're trying for a baby, they will do another laparoscopy to get all the endometriosis tissue out. And then normally, well, I say normally. In a lot of cases, that will then help and people will be able to get pregnant. In some people, it will lead to sort of infertility. But there's no way of really doing much about that until you want to become pregnant. I think it means you need to plan your pregnancy a lot more. So for me, Mm -hmm. realistically, I'm probably not going to have an unwanted pregnancy because I'll be on the pill every day. And like the chance of me getting accidentally pregnant, I think, are quite low. Um, Doesn't mean it can't happen at all. Um yeah it will have to be a bit more planned so I've already mm-hmm. sort of got like a bit of a timeline with my specialist it doesn't it doesn't necessarily matter cuz all I need to do is come off the pill and then potentially if I'm trying for 6 months to a year nothing happens I might want to consider having the operation to mm-hmm. then kind of help it further
0: yeah no that's, that's good to know yeah that is good to know um yeah it 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 reminds me a lot of kind of like when we spoke to um, Emma, Emma about PCOS. Yeah. It's like she described a very, very similar process of like being on, you know, the pill um, to help with her PCOS. And then, you know, your your pregnancy has to be a bit more planned. So coming off of it, getting your period back and then trying for um, a year or so. So it does sound, God, it's hard to be a woman. Um, it
1: is. I just feel like there's misconceptions around PCOS and endometriosis because they are kind of linked to, oh, it's a lot harder to get pregnant. And that really scares women. Whereas if we're like, you know, it can have some effect in the sense that like Antonio said, you might have to plan a pregnancy a bit more. But it is still completely possible.
0: Yeah, yeah. definitely. And I think it just comes down to knowing your body and like having that open communication with like a specialist or a doctor. Um, and just trying to figure out what, what's best for you and what are your symptoms and how can we best manage them and being just like a bit proactive um, that can really sound like it can help.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think generally um, you need to really advocate for yourself. I mean, MPs have mentioned it a little bit more now, so they might it might become easier, I think, in um, years to come, which I think would be really nice. But generally, I think the main advice I would give anyone who's worried about it would be to keep a really detailed log of your symptoms, like date stamp it, write down whether you're on your period, write down exactly when you're having the symptoms, what else is going on, even if if it seems completely unrelated. Like, as I said, for me, my UTIs and my bowel problems and my heavy periods were not three things that I ever put together. Same, for example, um, I get really nauseous, and that was another one of the main reasons that I was like I need to get this sorted out because sometimes I couldn't eat at all and like as a nutrition professional I know I need to eat breakfast but then I couldn't and it was like stressing me out because I'm like how am I going to get through the day like breakfast is so important why can I not eat um so so many like Little sort of symptoms that come with it that you wouldn't think are relevant. And I actually, every time I went to the doctor, I would at least forget one of my symptoms or like forget that when it had happened. And it makes it really difficult, I think, for your doctors to be certain of what they think. Because obviously, because an operation is quite invasive, I think that might be the reason a lot of them don't really want to diagnose endometriosis because they're like, well, the only way to be certain is then send someone in surgery. And if they're wrong, it's quite like as much as they try to make it minimally invasive is still a big deal. Like it still took me two weeks to recover from it. Like, you know, you're going to have to take time off work. It's still kind of traumatic. Like I was in a hospital in the middle of a pandemic was not my preferred sort of situation. I wasn't allowed to have any visitors. I'd personally never been in a hospital before. So it was so stressful.
0: Um, Were you offered any kind of like psychological support during that? no, no. But yeah, I think that's like a big red flag for, you know, chronic health conditions. Like, especially like when you go and see a doctor and they can't give you an answer right away, like ruminating on that in your head and you start to be like, is this my head? Am I blaming myself? And, you know, having those experiences, um, you know, when you go into hospital and things like that, like it, it takes its toll. And I think um, GPs and health services need to start to consider that. And need to start offering services coupled with like medical services also needs to come like psychiatric um, support.
2: I 100% agree because I think for me as well, I feel like I wasn't like I was told what was going to happen. But I was just like, I felt so alone the entire time, like being prepped for the surgery. Like people were trying to be nice, but I was still like mega anxious. Mm -hmm. And like, I just didn't really know what's happening. I was like in the car with my sister and I started crying. And she's not a very emotional person. So I think it was like, oh my God, my big sister is crying in the car right now. Like what on earth? And I was like, no, I'm fine. I swear I'm just kind of stressed out. And it's like, I definitely agree. Like there needs to be more sort of someone that can talk you through it like this is not going to be end of the world like you know you can get through it like this is what's going to happen sort of thing
1: yeah yeah. i do i think i'm so glad we're talking about this because in all honesty you know i didn't know enough or i don't know enough about it yeah i didn't realize how prevalent it was so i'm so glad that we can you know have this conversation and hopefully it will resonate with some of our listeners
0: yeah i agree um so recently in the news, I remember seeing something, and you just mentioned it, so like MPs have kind of recognized it. What was that about? Did they just recognize awareness or research? Do, do you know what was uh, being spoken about? Yeah, I
2: don't, I don't remember the exact, what they exactly mentioned in that article. But it was on the BBC, and it's basically, MPs just mentioned that the fact that it took seven and a half years to get diagnosed was an issue, so I think they were trying to target sort of policies sort of around that and making it it more accessible and maybe I think generally spreading awareness of what it was and then making sure people get diagnosed quicker because obviously seven and a half years is a bit of a a joke to, to get diagnosed really
0: yeah that's actually wild I like can't I can't believe that it's taken this long because in that time that you're you're fighting for, you know, a diagnosis, how many doctor's appointments do you have and how much, like, time are you taking off work and, you know, things like that, it really does cut into other areas of your life that you have to start to sacrifice on. Um, and I can, like, just imagine for someone who's been doing that for seven and a half years, that's such a long time.
2: And it's not just the doctor's appointments that you'll have to take time off for. Like, sometimes... I had um, so, such bad symptoms two weeks ago that I literally just had to like lie down, like with a hot water bottle. I had to take loads of paracetamol, and I was like, I actually I couldn't eat, I couldn't really like focus on anything. Now I'm quite lucky that I'm working from home at the moment. Um, as much as I do work sort of eight till four slash nine to five, um, like I have a bit of flexibility. Like if I need to take an hour to like lie down, I can do that, and I just add that onto the the rest of my day. But if I was in an office, I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I was literally, I remember lying on that sofa being like, if I was like in the office right now, I don't know what I'd do because it's so like, it's overwhelming. It kind of, I wouldn't say it comes out of nowhere. Like I knew that I was on my period and it could happen, but it's not something that you sort of like can be certain will happen on a certain day. Like I didn't really see it coming that day. Um And it is quite like incapacitating. Like I couldn't, really move like I was just like lying down like I hope this is gonna pass um but yeah so that's actually one of the things um I'd say that's quite important with endometriosis like making sure you eat enough fiber and you're keeping your sort of like microbiome really healthy can really help so for me mainly the pains come when I'm like kind of constipated or generally have any digestive issues it makes it so much worse because Mm -hmm. I think it just kind of presses in that area um and, yeah, it just, it it's, like, impossible. And especially for the laparoscopy, um, I was speaking to a girl beforehand, and I asked her for some tips, and she said, oh, make sure you take, like, extra fiber, like, tablets, because she was like, oh, you'll be so constipated after, like, honestly, it's going to be the worst pain of your life. Make sure you have enough fiber, like, get some of those, like, fiber, like, whether it's, like, those, like, spoonful of fiber or whatever supplement some yeah. I Yeah, like, Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure kind of got to the week before my surgery and I was like oh you know I'm vegetarian like I eat a lot of fiber I'm sure I'll be fine I was like consciously eating more fiber but I was like I don't think I need to have like a fiber supplement I'll be fine Mm -hmm. massive regret because I couldn't walk up straight for five days (laughs) it was honestly it was terrible so that's like my one food for thought make Mm -hmm. sure you have enough fiber (laughs) That's I was gonna say, point. yeah,
1: I was gonna say, do you have you adopted a special diet to help manage it, or has have doctors recommended a special diet? Are there certain foods that can kind of help you manage it?
2: No one's mentioned anything, and I think that's a bit of a, a shame as well, because I do think it would have maybe helped speaking to someone. Like, I'm quite like happy managing it myself because I have studied nutrition, so I kind mm. of did the research for myself. But I'd say for anyone who hasn't got a nutrition background. Would definitely be helpful, hasn't been offered to me or even mentioned. I don't really, I haven't really seen that many people specializing in it either. I imagine a lot of people that would specialize in PCOS could probably sort of help with it, but I haven't seen it sort of, I haven't seen anyone advertise it massively. Um, But yeah, just generally, I think eating regularly, like just, I'd say any normal sort of like, like more healthy eating pattern will help you like eating regularly eating fiber eating a variety of foods Something and then also a bit more just, routine yeah and just noticing which foods kind of trigger you as well so one of the things that they mentioned to me before like they mentioned that it might be endometriosis they were like oh maybe it's food intolerances so then I had to go gluten-free for a week I went dairy-free for a week and it was Did just like that so, provide relief no and like that's why it ended up sort of with me obviously getting the laparoscopy actually i had an endoscopy before that as well so they checked that it was definitely not something in my gut that i didn't have crohn's or ibd anything sort of like that um but yeah no it didn't none of that helped me i think the worst week i had was when she my doctor suggested to go fructose free um And like as a vegetarian, like I didn't realize how much fructose is and everything because obviously Mm -hmm. sugar. that's also a lot of high fiber foods
0: have fructose in it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh
0: yeah. Honestly, I I don't even know. I ate ate mainly
1: cheese that week. It was delicious.
0: (laughs) But I can understand not very beneficial for the situation. So I remember. I mean, we're not really sure what causes endometriosis, but I think a big body of research thinks that it's like an autoimmune um, disorder where your body kind of acts in overdrive, which cel- sends the cells elsewhere. Um, and so we know that a lot of autoimmune disorders are like inflammatory. Um, so I find it surprising that no one ever suggested kind of a anti-inflammatory approach which basically is just like lots of fruits and vegetables and you know limit processed foods and lots of I'll omega-3 facts, yeah. yeah Um, things like that some people find gluten inflammatory some people find dairy inflammatory obviously those are more like on a on a individual basis like my dad has really bad arthritis, arthritis which is inflammatory and he does really well with a gluten-free diet he's been gluten-free for like almost 10 years now um, and that really helps him but that's that's kind of like a you know that works for me not kind of mm-hmm. works for everyone kind of thing I think-
2: that sort of highlights, though, the problem that I think a lot of healthcare professionals don't have that nutrition focus at all. Like, it's not really being taught in med school. And I mean, you know, I mean, they don't have the time to learn about it all. But I think most doctors that I've seen never really suggest. Changing my diet for anything, like they're normally like, Oh, well, these are the antibiotics we can give you, or these meds, or just take some painkillers, or anything like nutrition wasn't mentioned much at all. Um, I asked my specialist actually what else there was that I could do because he was like, Oh, well, you know, take the pill, we'll reconvene in like three to four months, maybe. Um, and you can tell me how you're getting on. And I was like, Okay, but what else can I do to like manage the pain? He's like, Take painkillers, and I was like, Okay, um, and I'd like read up a little bit, and I was like, Oh what about like regular exercise? Like, does that actually help? I've like, I read a little bit about it, but I'm always a bit reluctant to, you know, do my own research and then just rely on that. So I was like, I want to hear it from him. Mm. And he said that actually re- exercise is the one thing that does help sort of manage pain a little bit better. Um, he didn't explain to me specifically why, but so I now kind of, I run every morning, I do my yoga and I have felt like, I do feel like that just helps me with our mental health as well like I think there's so many different things that you can do for yourself to sort of manage the experiences around it that I guess the doctors wouldn't necessarily tell you but it's stuff like you know journaling writing down your symptoms writing Mm -hmm. down how you feel about them like all these sort of things like I try to eat like you know like a really varied diet so like eating sort of 30 different types of fruit and veg and whole grains a week you know like making sure that like my gut microbiome is like as good as I can manage for it to get um, and stuff like that. But it doesn't mean that it's going to work for everyone. I think that's Mm -hmm. the main thing with endometriosis is like some people will have only one symptom. Some people will have them all. Some people will have loads of pain. Some people might not. It's yeah there's no I think one size fits all really
0: yeah it sounds hectic um and again like you just have to be so on top of it yourself and you have to assume a lot of that responsibility and I can imagine that's really difficult but it sounds like you've developed quite a good routine um in managing it and I think that's great and I think that's amazing actually
1: yeah definitely so from my kind of understanding is there actually isn't any specific treatment it's more about kind of managing your symptoms in the best way you can yeah definitely yeah I th- I just think it's so important for people to know because it's like with anything um you know let's say we've mentioned PCOS but like there's no one way to deal with it and I think just cluing yourself up and gaining as much knowledge and maybe researching if you have to is only going to make or build your relationship with yourself to be so much stronger
2: Yeah, definitely. I think just being really in tune with yourself as well, just really listening to your body is the main thing that helps. Like I always try to be really reflective. So if I have like a day where it's really bad, I'm like, okay, how did I eat in the last few days? Like, did I do any exercise? Did I get outside much? Like, how is my general mental health? And then like just piece it together a little bit myself so I can learn more about me personally because no one else can do that for you like no one else can pinpoint exactly what it was unless you've kept track
0: of what it is
2: um but yeah endometriosis uk actually has um like a little pdf document which helps you keep track of some of the more common symptoms before your doctor's appointment they also I think it also has a list on it on like the types of questions that the doctor's gonna ask you which i think is a really good way to like prepare you for their first meeting because yeah i didn't really have that And like, I just kind of, every time they asked me a question, I was like, does this apply to me? Like, you know, when you just like have to think, I'm like, and then after the, I I don't know, I always find like, after these appointments, I'm like, oh my God, no, of course that was like, yeah, you always think of
0: the answers.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's like like so overwhelming in the moment. Yeah, But I know you touched on some of what your own symptoms were at the beginning, but just for anyone who doesn't know and suspect they might have it, would you mind just running through kind of what? the symptoms are whether or not you have a few or all of them
2: yeah so generally um you will experience um abdominal pain so this tends to be sort of around um your period um can be pain in other parts of the body though as well but generally I had it specifically very located around um my ovaries so it was like really on sort of um like that side of it like you can like pinpoint it on your body nearly where the pain is Um, fatigue is another one as well so if you kind of feel frequently quite tired that can be um, a symptom having any sort of bowel or bladder problems so whether that's UTIs um, having sort of IBS like symptoms whether that's constipation or diarrhea or anything of that sort of side can be it if you've got difficulty getting pregnant um, and other things have been sort of ruled out that could be um, a symptom Nausea could be um another symptom um frequent episodes of thrush actually apparently are also a symptom, so that was quite interesting um and uh depression as well is sort of a symptom and feeling faint actually so mm-hmm. um kind of i I found for me personally. That tends to be around the time where I do have my period. I sometimes have just periods, but I do like just get really, really lightheaded. and I could never really pinpoint that. That's also nothing I ever disclosed to my doctors that was happening because mm-hmm. I didn't again think about it at all. And I read it, and I was like, ah, interesting. So yeah. you know, it all kind of pieces together.
1: So uh, do you, sorry. Oh, I was going to say just one more question: Does it affect the like how regular your periods are? Um. For me, it
2: didn't um up until I like started taking the pill, weirdly enough. So oh, okay. over the last year I had really regular periods. I used to track my periods as well with like a cycle tracker on my phone. Um and I was quite quite happy that it was very like nearly to the day I could predict when I'd come on. So it didn't in that case. It definitely can and that tends to be I think what they look out for as well, is whether mm-hmm. they're quite irregular and heavy um but funnily enough since taking the hormones but I think it's maybe just my body adjusting to it it's been very like all over the place and I'm like spotting half of the month to be honest with you like I feel like I'm constantly kind of on my period now um which uh provides a whole other host of um problems actually Mm -hmm. the one symptoms I didn't mention I just realized is also painful sex so um if you sort of suddenly realize like you're having sex and it hurts when it never really did before that can be a symptom and that's another thing i think no one really discussed with their doctor necessarily like because yeah. you sometimes just think like cuz it can be positional can't it like yeah. i remember i had um uh i went to the sexual health clinic years ago um and they had um like a trainee and they were like, oh, do you mind if he comes and, like, watches your consultation? And I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, so they went through all of the questions and they actually asked me that time. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know what, actually, it does sometimes. But they were like, oh, it might just be positional. Because I was like, it's not, like, every time I had sex, it was, like, unbearable pain. But it's, like, these small things that kind of
0: piece together as well. Yeah.
1: Okay, no, I'm glad you mentioned that as well.
0: What I was going to say before is, like, the symptoms that you listed – a lot of them are just like, it sounds like many of them are common symptoms of like hormones and like menstrual cycle anyways, like, you know, pain or, you know, sometimes even like feeling faint or, you know, bowel habits and things like Mm -hmm.
1: that.
0: Um, And I, I just like feel this like weird frustration that like, You know, a lot of these symptoms are actually symptoms just like of a period, but they're just like exacerbated. But like, if you're always told that like you're gonna get cramps, like you don't know how bad everyone else has it, I just feel frustrated that there's like this lack of, you know, thresholds and differentiation because. It's just lack like of sympathy just,
1: for females and their
0: parents. <laughs> yeah, because it almost just sounds like, oh, well, you're just you're just a woman, and these are things that are, you know, you're gonna experience, and mm. this is just part of life. But it's like, no, actually, I have a condition that's really, you know, this is not normal, and you know, I need special care for it. But it kind of just goes under that umbrella of just like, oh, it's just part of being a woman, and I just like I feel frustrated about that. Yeah,
1: completely.
2: I also feel like there's not enough awareness around how you can use the pill to manage different things, so like I think ma many of the p- pill always gets told to you is like that's a contraceptive, that's why you take it, and like sort of that's the only purpose, but there's so many other reasons So I mean people use it to treat their acne, obviously like there's other sort of reasons for it, and I'm like, I kind of wish I'd known that because i I mean not that I think me going off the pill caused my endometriosis like there's no way like mm-hmm. you know, like that's that's not. I was like ah like I actually happened to be on the right pill to manage endometriosis before just really randomly because I was using it for my skin before so I was like I mean again hindsight is a beautiful thing but I was like imagine if I'd stayed on the pill maybe my symptoms would have never actually gotten that bad because I would have accidentally have been treating my endometriosis but there was never really that kind of discussion around what else I was using it for my skin was fine I was in a stable relationship, so I was like, oh, I'd rather not take hormones personally because mm. I've react to it so much, like with my mental health. Um, but I think having more awareness of what the different conditions you can have as a woman, and then what the what the reason behind maybe taking contraceptive pills is, would be quite useful.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think you've just covered so.
0: Like I have learned so much this episode. Same, and I feel like I need to like, like. <laughs> help raise awareness for I, know. It. Like, I actually I the saying. more I like hear about, you know, what you go through and then hear about kind of like the treatment options and just the diagnostic process and how like you said before, it's not even just like the pain and the doctor's appointments, but then like being incapacitated because, you know, it it's so difficult. Um and how that affects you and mentally and the lack of mental health. I just like I'm summarizing the whole episode. But I'm sorry. <laughs> but like I just feel like how have I as a registered dietitian and like I like to think I'm quite privy to medical conditions like how have I gone this long without knowing those facts and figures and how many other people are also in the dark about this who haven't suffered with it without like a friend or family member in that situation so I think that this episode is very 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 important and I'm so happy that we were able to have you on to discuss it Um, and yeah introduce you to the Forking Wellness community as well. Thank
1: you guys so much for having me. Yeah, of course. If you uh, want to just tell everyone where they can find you as well, because I know you do put out a lot of helpful content on your social media as well.
2: Yeah, so on Instagram, I'm at bilingual nutritionist, um, which is just at the moment a load of um, recipes, really. I did one post about endometriosis, actually. Yeah. And I think I'm trying to do a bit more. Um, I'm actually potentially writing some blog articles for Dietitian grow soon, Um, about endometriosis as well so i think that'll be quite helpful
1: yes Um, definitely
2: but yeah that's me
1: amazing well thank you so much uh we absolutely love having you on the team um antonia does so much behind the scenes for us so yeah so pleased to have her on
0: amazing well we will speak to you guys next week bye Thank you. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness podcast. As always, please rate, review and subscribe
1: and share with your friends and family or anyone that you think this episode might be helpful to. It really does help us get seen in the charts.
0: Please go follow us on Instagram at Forking Wellness and pre-order our book either on amazon.co.uk or barnesandnobles.com.